Before we start today's episode, a bit of housekeeping for all those listeners out there. Whichever your podcast listening platform of choice, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, reviews can make a huge impact. And not only do we value your feedback, which can help us create better content, it will also help others discover the podcast. So spread the love and leave a review if you've got a minute. And with that, on with today's show. I'm the Reverend Dr. Jenny McKay, veterinarian, curate and minister in secular employment, environmentalist, activist and self-confessed cat junkie. But believe it or not, I have never asked chat GBT to write a speech for the Church of England General Synod. But someone who has is my guest, Canon and Dr. Tim Bull. So, Tim, I know you were just experimenting with ChatGPT, and it's not a speech you actually used. But can you tell me a little bit about your experiences with AI? Yes, thank you. Actually, good to be with you here this morning. Uh, yes, so my background is in computer software engineering. So I've always been interested in technology, been following the world of AI for a very long time. And around about last November, I think it was, this new system, ChatGPT, was uh, released for kind of public use. So I've been um, playing with it. Um, if you've not tried it yet, it's worth having a look at. You can search online using your favorite online search engine, ChatGPT. And what the system is, for those that aren't familiar, you can put in um, any request, um, any uh, question or that you like, and ChatGPT will create you um, an answer or a response. So a good example recently, um, I asked it to write me a poem about St. Albans Cathedral, which is where I'm based. Um, so this is how, what it started with. I won't read the whole thing. This is verse one. St. Albans Cathedral, a sacred delight. Its spires reach for heavens, a heavenly sight. Whispers of prayers in ancient stone walls echo through time while serenity calls. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good, apart from, of course, the fact that it talks about the spires of St Albans Cathedral. And anybody who knows our cathedral knows it has no spires at all. <laughs> it's literally just making up random words uh, without really any underlying intelligence. Oh. And that was part of the problem with the General Synod speech. Uh, it, it sounded, it sounded great on the surface, but it was actually pretty free of any content or meaning. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like you said, it's just scanning, isn't it, for words associated with um, cathedral, I guess, and, and poetry, and it's not, 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 not specific. But yeah, pretty good, pretty interesting. And you also taught a course, didn't you, Tim, which was Artificial Intelligence, a Christian response? That's right. Um, in fact, I'm getting more and more invitations to uh, talk about AI in different contexts. Um, I've done two in the last two weeks. I've got another three or four coming up uh, this autumn because it's such a fast moving uh, topic and has potentially such great impact uh, on the lives of many of us in in lots of different ways, but at the same time raises some important questions and issues which we need to, to think about really quite carefully. Absolutely. And I know you you gave a talk to um, a Lent study group that I was running in my own church at Stockport, and you were just making that point that 
within a couple of weeks, the information is just changing so rapidly. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But the questions that AI raises are really interesting as well. There's another system uh, called Bing Image Create. Again, go put it into your search engine. You can play with it yourself. And you can ask the system to produce you any picture uh, that you like. So you can say, um, I'd like a picture of a, a bishop playing a trumpet while riding an elephant through the Arctic. And it will produce a picture of a bishop riding an elephant um, playing a trumpet and riding through <laughs> the Arctic. Sounds great. But if you put in uh, certain uh, requests for images, it's really fascinating the response you get. So, for example, I tried putting in, um, give me an image of success. And however many images I produced, the only thing it could uh, create was a picture of a young white man um, in a business suit. We're doing a kind of fist pump gesture. That was the only idea it had of success, which, of course, shows the kind of the bias, the stereotypes, mm. the limited nature uh, of what these things can do. Uh, so there's lots of issues and concerns they raise. Okay, yeah, that one, that one's very, very interesting. Wow. So I think I'm going to have to um, ask it to do a certain image, perhaps. I can ask it maybe to do the reverent, reverent fit and success. Absolutely. It's <laughs> fascinating to put that in, just going to Bing Image Create uh, and ask it to draw a picture of a reverend vet or maybe a, a, a vicar who is also a vet. I'm not sure it would understand curates, but we could probably try. <laughs> and it will probably, yeah, it might do a, a, a man, but uh, I, shall, I shall try that. I shall try that. Absolutely. It was interesting, actually, when I put in on a successful woman, uh, it came up with the same kind of young woman, business suit, mm -hmm. uh, slightly aggressive kind of fist pump gesture. But interesting with women, you got a greater variety of ethnicities. They weren't all white. All right. So that was rather Okay, that's good. That That's progress then. <laughs> so, Tim, you are a priest, but you have an impressive two doctorates. And I know before theology and genetics, you also received a PhD in computer software engineering. So right. from the outside, these might seem like two very different disciplines. Or maybe there there are more links there. Uh, I think they probably are fairly different disciplines, but the computer software engineering was always a little bit uh, of an aside. Um, I first felt a call to ministry when I was studying a maths degree uh, around at the age of twenty one, mm -hmm. and was thinking about kind of pursuing this. I can tell the story if you're interested. Oh, yes, um, please. Jenny. Um, <laughs> so I, I had a sense of calling um, while I was down at a place called Lee Abbey on the North Devon coast, which is a Christian holiday and conference centre uh, during my time studying maths. Um, and at that point thought, well, I'd like to go off and do some kind of Christian ministry. Mm -hmm. um, the next year, this was 1987, so that dates me a little bit, um, Lee Abbey had just got a computer and they wanted uh -huh. someone to go and make database software work for them. So I thought it's also uh -huh. a great opportunity to kind of try out Christian ministry. So I joined the Lee Abbey community, ended up spending two years there, loved the kind of Christian work, did the kind of computer stuff. And then again, uh -huh. was thinking of going into uh, ordained ministry as a priest when I got offered a job, which I hadn't even applied for for interview um, up in Durham working for a small mm -hmm. high-tech spin-off company set up by the university. 
So I worked for them for a few years at a part-time doctorate. And then after that, started teaching at Durham University as a lecturer all the time, thinking actually one day, one day, one day, uh, I will go off and be ordained. And so finally, when I just turned 30, uh, I went off and trained for ministry. Uh, but, but actually, it was really, it was a, a really good uh, thing not to have gone straight into training to be a, a vicar or priest, because I think I would have always thought to myself, you know, maybe computers would have been more interesting. But I got to do all sorts of uh, exciting kind of world leading research um, and kind of kind of got that out of my system. But, but the interesting thing was the lecturing at the university. I did discover I loved teaching. Uh, I haven't ever experienced that before. And so teaching has always been part of my ministry ever since. Wow. So it really, it really evolved in, in that nice way, didn't it? It did. It was just as if God was at work. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's with hindsight, isn't it, that you can see these paths makes more sense. That's right. Absolutely. You can. So religion, it's always been something really that's played a part in your life, I guess. Does this go back to your childhood? Yeah, my father was ordained, so I grew up in a in a vicarage. Always went to Sunday school, sang in the choir as a small boy. Um, was taught to say prayers at bedtime end of end of the the day. Um, and so, I kind of grew up with Christian faith. But as I say, it was just around about I turned time I turned twenty one at Lee Abbey that suddenly kind of faith took hold of my life in a in a new way, and. I really felt a sense of needing to kind of live this out for myself. But yeah, faith has always been there and kind of science, maths, computers always been there too. And then you moved on to theology and genetics, didn't you? I did. Yes, indeed. So how did that evolve? Well, um, I'm not quite entirely sure how I ended up doing that. I mean, I was always interested in kind of the relationship between um, science and faith. And I think I had been reading some uh, um, some works about kind of genetic engineering. I mean, I started this PhD uh, 20 years ago now when it, it was uh, a kind of a new and evolving mm-hmm. topic. And I was just really interested in how could Christians um, engage um, with genetics and interest issues in genetics in a kind of theological way mm-hmm. there'd been various kind of ethical stuff done which was which, which was good but nothing really trying to uh discuss genetics with a kind of a biblical basis with a kind of philosophical rigor so i decided to have a go uh, at doing that to be honest jenny the um the, the phd wasn't great um <laughs> The, the theology, the biblical stuff, the philosophy was all good, but the mm. application to genetics didn't really work out so well. And that, as much as anything, was due to the kind of the advancing uh, scientific mm-hmm. discoveries. So we now know, for example, through epigenetics, um, that uh, genes can express themselves in different ways in different contexts. Uh, and so really the science moved on and the theology mm. was good, but never quite worked out, which was a bit disappointing. Oh, but still gave you a lot of very, very good insights into your yeah continuing it did, it did. ministry, didn't it? Yeah. So obviously your your background is very, very scientific as well. And we know there's been plenty of historical conflict between the church and science. How do you think the modern relationship between the two, church and science, gets along? 
I think in some places there is uh, a sense that there is a feeling of tension between the two. I mean, people like Richard Dawkins writing The God Delusion uh, want to kind of, in a sense, manufacture uh, a, a chasm where I don't think there is one particularly. So, for example, um, I think that um, studying science enables us to kind of have a greater appreciation of and worship uh, for God. Um, so uh, the, here's an example you can imagine. If you had a million pounds in £10 notes and you stacked up your million pounds in £10 notes, there'd be about the height of two double-decker buses, one on top of the other. That's a million pounds. Mm-hmm. If you had a hundred billion pounds the stack of 10 pound notes would reach into the sky 550 miles okay 100 billion is a big number 100 billion is also a great number it's approximately the number of stars in our galaxy it's approximately the number of galaxies in the universe it's approximately the number of neurons in a human brain it's approximately the number of seconds since king david uh, lived on earth um, it's, a, it's a fantastic number. But when you kind of appreciate just the size and vastness of the numbers um, involved, it, for me, it helps me to appreciate the kind of the size and vastness and awesomeness uh, and majesty of God. And to think that yes. God, who is so awesome, has an interest in human beings, is a, a, it's a really kind of a humbling yes. experience and makes, me, makes my faith deeper uh, rather than weakens it. Wow, I think that's a very, very good analogy as well that, that you've given us. A hundred billion, yeah, puts the size of us in in perspective with creation as a whole, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. So, what about you? Have you ever faced any challenges from from more hardline Christians on your scientific beliefs? Well, I don't think it's terribly helpful calling anybody hardline. Um, that's not a phrase that I would I would want to apply to uh, anybody. Um, but I have certainly met people and worked with them who would um, hold a more conservative view of a scripture, um, believe in a six day creation as is recorded in Genesis, and do so with great integrity. Um, I think the, their approach would be to say something like, um, if we start questioning some aspects of the Bible, so for example, the, the story of creation in six days, if we start to question some aspects of the Bible, then might we start to question other aspects? What about the stories about Jesus uh, and the res- his resurrection from the dead uh, and God's love for the world and the fact that God answers prayer? Where do you, where do you draw the line? Where do you say, actually, um, I can question this, but I can't question that. So for people who would hold a more conservative view, they would say actually the easiest and most logically sensible approach is to not question any of it and take the whole of scripture uh, as being the inerrant, um, true uh, word of God. So people can, with great integrity, uh, believe in a six-day creation. Um, Personally, I don't. um, And that has from time to time led to um, shall we say, vigorous debate. Yes, yes, I can imagine because I, I know that's something I get asked and, and work quite a lot. They say you're you're a scientist, but you're also a Christian. And some people kind of assume that I will believe that the world was created in six days. Yeah, exactly, but exactly. Of course, there's the evidence of evolution isn't there. Yes. 
there is absolutely yes yeah and, lo- and lots lots of evidence absolutely wow well i'm going to move on to a slightly different tack um because i know you have another interest you're a very keen and talented photographer so what are your favorite subjects for capture uh, well, I don't know about talented. I'm certainly, I certainly enjoy <laughs> photography very much. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I do enjoy taking pictures. I, I think, I think the pictures I enjoy taking most are the ones when I'm uh, travelling. And so, for example, uh, just a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go with some folk from our diocese to uh, Romania uh, to visit the painted monasteries. If you've never seen the painted monasteries of Romania, uh, they are fantastic. They're painted. Um, in a Romanian um, Orthodox Christianity, are painted on inside and also the outside of the churches are painted with the most amazing uh, scenes of kind of um, saints and angels of heaven, of kind of the uh, judgment scenes. And to get pictures of these uh, was astonishing. But really, any any travel, um, if it's a, a kind of a uh, a, a boat on the sea. I've got a lovely picture that I took when I was in Belize. Um, I went out to, to Key Corker, kind of this beautiful island. There's a lovely boat. I've got a picture of that above the, the fireplace at home. But yeah, uh, travel pictures uh, generally. Yeah, your favourite. Yeah. It? And do you have a special, a favourite photo that you've taken above all? I, I like the one I took of the, the boat when I was visiting um, Key Corker off Belize. Uh, I've also got one which was an entirely a uh, random chance photograph of a squirrel in our garden on perched the branch um, eating an apple. And it's got the apple in its little paws and it's looking straight into the straight into the camera. And I happen to have the right kind of lens to get that framed nicely. Um, I, I do like that one as well. Oh, wow. So yeah, that one-off, wasn't it? Yeah, you were just there at the right time. It's like, it's like chance, random, random picture, but hey, if, if you can get the capture it at that moment, then that's good. And now going back to your, your academic work, you taught a course which I think is very, very relevant today, and that was called Truth, Post-Truth, Fake News and Disinformation. Um, and it's really, really difficult for people at the moment to distinguish between what is actual fact and, and what isn't. So um, I guess what I want to know is that the progress of artificial intelligence, do you think it will be even more difficult to navigate social media in the quest for truth? Okay, I'll answer the question in a moment. Just a little bit more background to that work. Um, It's some work I've been doing since 2018 with two colleagues of mine, uh, one who used to be the head of communications for the Church of England, and the other of whom for many years was a producer of BBC programme Songs of Praise and is now an independent filmmaker. And we got together, as I say, uh, about uh, five years ago now, realising that there was an awful lot of kind of fake news, disinformation, post-truth around. So we've done various kind of seminars, um, symposiums, bringing people together from faith communities, not just Christianity, but um, Muslim, uh, Judaism, uh, uh, and so on as well. People from the arts, uh, media, science, technology, business, uh, academia, uh, to talk about on um, issues around uh, a project, where is truth now? And arising from this, we've had various um, courses uh, and so on, which we've run as well. But you're quite right, Jenny. Uh, yeah, the whole thing about uh, artificial intelligence does raise 
the prospect of making it much easier to create information which is false and misleading. So the poem I read at the beginning about St. Albans Cathedral with its spires, I mean, that's, that's not true. Um, the picture of the bishop riding the elephant might look like a, a very realistic picture. It's not that realistic, but you could imagine a realistic picture, but it's just kind of artificially um, generated. Um, and there are other um, AI technologies which can create um, deep fake videos. Um, there's one as well that's been produced by the company Meta, the company behind Facebook and Instagram, uh, which can um, mimic um, any um, human voice for which you have sufficient um, bit of audio recording. So you could imagine a situation where you get a phone call one day and on the other end of the phone, it's, it sounds just like your nephew. And your nephew says that he's run into a spot of financial bother and can you send him 500 quid? And because it's your nephew on the other end of the line, you believe it. But actually, this is all artificially, artificially generated and it's a, it's a scam. And so Meta have deliberately decided not to release this technology uh, to the public, but it is there um, sitting on some computer somewhere. And so there's huge potential for creating all sorts of um, fake, false, misleading uh, information for um, either innocent or nefarious purposes. So it is a, it is a real concern. Yes, it's it's a shame, isn't it? It's scary, but I guess with all this new technology, there's so much good that can be done with it. Absolutely. But there's always going to be somebody that, that uses it yes. for, for the bad. And of course, there's also, there's also um, fake news and disinformation without AI. So I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, a good friend of mine posted something on uh, Twitter. And because he heads up a, a national Christian organization, I know him well, um, I thought that must be, this must be real. And he posted that since the beginning of lockdown, the suicide rate had gone up, not, not just by a little bit, but the suicide rate had doubled. Uh, that was like really worrying to me, um, thinking about the well-being of the people. So I retweeted that to all my followers. Actually, it turned out to be a false piece of information. It wasn't true at all. But because it had come from somebody I trusted, um, I, I posted it and passed it on. And so we can all be taken in. And this concept of shed, um, sharing information, which is false, has been with us since time immemorial, I'm afraid. AI just makes it easier. Yeah, it does, just to share amongst more people globally. Yeah. So what um, what did you make of that deep fake Martin Lewis interview promoting an investment scam? Um, I thought it was quite. quite I, I thought it was quite. I thought it was quite convincing. I thought the, the most useful thing though was the fact that this was kind of made public, and they were talking about it on the the, the television chat show and so on. And hopefully, um, it will have just raised the profile of these dangerous fake videos among more people and help us to be a little bit more alert to what is possible because actually it looked pretty convincing didn't it yeah that is the worrying thing isn't it <laughs> so i also know that climate change and the environment they're they're hugely important issues in your life as they should be for all of us what do you think are the main obstacles that we face as a society in the fight against the climate crisis? Yes. Um, uh, one of the things I do is I'm part of the Church of England's General Synod, which is kind of a bit like a parliament. It's not really like a parliament, but a bit like a parliament. But I'm on the General Synod's um, Environmental 
uh, group trying to promote environmental issues through the work of Synod and also at St Albans Cathedral, part of the environmental group um, here. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, we only have to look, turn on the TV or radio, um, look at newspapers, at the issues of um, wildfires um, in sort of southern Europe, excessive heats in, in Europe, um, United States, uh, floods in the Far East. It is a, it is a pressing concern. Um, I think the, there are two or three things which uh, we need to be working on. I think, first of all, um, a, a lot of churches have done kind of environmental stu uh, stuff. There was a very good study course out, the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent course a few years ago, a book written by Ruth Valerio. And I think a lot of churches will have studied that course and kind of thought they've done the environment and ticked it off. Actually, it's not something we can tick off. We need to keep going all the time. So one of the core issues is just keeping environmental issues on the agenda uh, all the time. Uh, I think a second thing is realising that we can all make a difference. It can seem such, such like, like such a huge issue, issue but we can really make a, a difference. Um, uh, things like recycling, turning off light bulbs, wondering whether we can walk for a journey rather than take the car, uh, considering what we buy um, and, and so on. There are lots of things you can do. You can find all the stuff uh, online. And I think as well, uh, we need to get bolder with what we do with our churches. Many of our churches have fantastic south facing roofs, um, ideal locations for photovoltaic um, solar panels. I mean, St. Albans Cathedral is a case in point. Um, but the heritage groups tend to, well, do they actually stand in our way? I think often we haven't really tested the case to see whether it's possible to use our buildings, for example, for uh, generating electricity. But we need to get bolder at thinking of big projects and initiatives that we can do uh, to tackle the climate crisis. Absolutely. But do you think there has been an overall change in, in the collective mindset over the last couple of years? Uh, yes, I think there has. I think we have become much more conscious that this is an issue uh, we need uh, to deal with. Um, I, there, is, there is another um, part of the equation, though. Um, uh, and that is, I don't think the environment is always seen as being a kind of a core Christian issue. Uh, but I always go back to the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, whenever Jesus met somebody, he had good news for them. So for the blind man, the good news was that he had his sight restored. For the hungry crowd, they were fed. For the wedding that had run out of wine, they provided with uh, some alcohol. Uh, for the woman caught in adultery, um, she was freed from stoning and was able to go and live her life. I mean, Jesus always had good news for people. And I think that the church needs to become more focused on being a people uh, with good news, not only for our individuals, but also for the world. And I would love to see the church do more to develop a theology and a spirituality and a gospel and a message of good news around the uh, environment and not just kind of climate change uh, but things like biodiversity uh, as well and who knows this was a bit of a pipe dream but I would love it to be the case in maybe this is quite some way off maybe it'll never happen but I would love it to be the case that young people would say Do you know I'm so passionate about the environment I think I better join the church. Ah, oh, that would be wonderful wouldn't it yeah absolutely I think that's that's a dream we would all have. Yeah, you're right. I mean, young people are looking for spirituality. I think they do care. They are very passionate about about the environment, and the the church could could really really tap into that. Absolutely.
So Tim, you you know, if we've, as we've discussed, you've got so many interests, you've got your ministerial interests, you've got your academic commitments. And I'm just curious when it comes to having some time off, what do you do? Like what, what would you like to do over a, a relaxing weekend? Oh yeah, I take plenty of time off. Well, of course, clergy don't get full weekends usually. Um, but no, my wife and I are very, are very kind of diligent in taking our, our day off. Um, yeah, we, we we tend to go for a walk. I've got an app, fantastic app on my phone uh, where you can find new walks. So we're always looking for new places to walk. Um, my wife is recovering from having a, a bit of an illness which left her immo bit immobile. So we're gradually kind of building up the length of that. And that's great to be able to do some walking. Uh, we love um, eating out, uh, going for a coffee. Uh, I'm always uh, reading, uh, taking photographs. Uh, I try to kind of live life to the full. So that's good. Excellent. That's really, really important, isn't it? To have um, free time and relaxation for yourself. Absolutely. So what's next for you, Tim? Uh, what's next in terms of this summer? Well, this summer we've got some holiday coming up. Um, what's next in terms of kind of uh, ministry? I'm, I'm continuing to do my work in vocations, which is my main job here. Uh, I've got various invitations to talk about faith and AI uh, in different places. Um, what's next in the terms of the Church of England? There are all sorts of issues around uh, living in love and faith, issues around human sexuality uh, and safeguarding. Uh, and then I suppose at some point, all of the question of what next in terms of uh, where, I, where I go in ministry. Um, I'm in my late 50s. I've got 10 years until I go before I retire. So it's not impossible to imagine that I might have one more job in me uh, before I finally start <laughs> stop. Well, I'm sure you do. And I think, you know, artificial intelligence, it's just so high on the agenda. Everybody seems to be talking about it. And and thank you very, very much for explaining it very clearly to us, along with your other interests. At all. It's a pleasure. If anybody is interested in anything I've said, do please follow me. You can follow me on Twitter. And the, the name is ministry underscore Tim. So ministry underscore Tim on Twitter. I'd be delighted to engage with any of your listeners. And you have a website as well, Tim, don't you? Uh, I have indeed. Yes. Um, and it's, uh, I, I can't tell you what anyway. my head. If you, follow, <laughs> if you go to my Twitter, you'll find the web. You can get to the website through that. Marvellous. Well, thanks again, Tim. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.